squad up. Yes. I'm in Raw Squad up. It's over. It's over now. I'm in Raw Squad up. The jig is up. I'm in Raw Squad up. Kimmy don't try. I'm in Raw Squad up. What the fuck? I'm in Raw Squad up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You hear that? Listen. Oh, oh shit. shit. It's Armin Raw Squad. Coming in the building. <laughs> God killer! Peace and Black Power family, welcome to another Sarnetta TV House of Consciousness production. I'm here with the Armin Ross Squad brother Asal Hotep. He's gonna start this off, and then I got brother Sinjetti. But Sinjetti is, he's been, um, he been on Sarnetta TV before, I think we had about a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So I got brother Hassan right here, he's getting ready to go in family. This, this is right here is gonna be a special treat. We up early in the morning doing this work. And now uh, let me let the brother speak and bring him on. Peace my brother. Well for those who you know do not know me, I'm Brother Asar Motep with the Madhu Andela Institute for the Advancement of Science and Culture. Um, and uh, Participated in the um, the debate, of the the Kemet on trial, um, the Hebrew Israelites versus the so-called uh, Kemetic community, and um, due to time constraints, we were not allowed to present uh, some additional data that you know would have uh, supported our, our the primary debaters uh, on the Kemetic side, and so what I'm about to present now is just simply a few of my notes that were going to be included into the the narrative of of the night and so yeah and so and so there's a number of questions that uh came about as a result of the discussion and or, or a lot of questions so some of them i will you know address you know right now and then Sanjetti, our brother Sanjetti will address some others. And then, you know, brother Uncle will probably come in a little later and uh, address some other things. So going here, uh, again, these are just, these are my full presentation. These are just my notes. Uh, we're going to tackle some of these questions. And so uh, one of the first things I want to pull out was this word here in the ancient Egyptian language. It is kim or kimu. And it's those who don't know or those who do not know. Egypt and therefore the the Egyptian enemies or Egyptians foes and part of why they were called you know Chimu is because they were constantly attacked but don't know the substance don't know the essence of the culture of, of the ancient Egyptians and so a lot of misconceptions and things arose out of their ignorance and so this is a word for ignorance and so this is what I would consider at the present state of the Hebrew Israelite community I call them Hamites so they want to say that you know the Africans are the Hamites and so we, I call them the Hamites, uh, which means those who don't know, the ignorant ones of Egypt. And so we're going to see that fundamentally the, the issues that we have with the Hebrew Israelite communities because they don't know Egypt. And so uh, this will give them a firm foundation. And so one of the questions that kept, kept coming up uh, throughout the night was this, this charge of incest. Uh, and so they could never really, you know, uh, conclusively say that there was any incest. Um, but as Brother Polite had been um, demonstrating all night, is that we have a situation, let's just say for the record, 
you know, or, or for, for argument that there was incest in ancient Egypt. What we would have simply is an issue of the uh, pot calling the kettle black because we see this prominently in, in the biblical text with no charge against uh, the, the particular patriarchs as it regards their, um, their, their incest. And so uh, Polite bring out one example, but I wanted to bring out this one. <laughs> and so, um, let me see. Okay. Oh, that's the point. Okay. Um, well, this is another thing I wanted to bring out beforehand that with the biblical text, one of the arguments that we have against the, the, the biblical text is that it's a non living document, meaning that you can't add or change anything to it. So if you find errors in the text, you can't go back and change and correct it so the new generation will have more accurate information to, to build off and operate off of. And this makes the Bible very limited because, uh, again, if we come to the consensus, for example, that you know slavery is wrong, we shouldn't do slavery, which the Bible condones and gives rules and regulations for slaves. So if we've come to this consensus that slavery is wrong, we can't make an update and say, you know, in the, Bible, in the biblical text that, hey, slavery's wrong, we can't move forward, you know, um, um, from this point on. So they're stuck in this perpetual loop. And so, you know, you can have daylight without the sun uh, in the biblical text in Genesis. You can have a day without the sun, which is impossible. You can have plants before the sun, you know, according. We know by science that this is not the case nowadays. And so um, when, when Revelation says, I warn you, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person. Any share in this tree of life in the holy city which are uh, described in this scroll. This is one of the uh, revelations. Uh, uh, this is in Revelations 28, excuse me, 22 and 18, 22 and 19. And so the same thing in uh, Deuteronomy 4 in the Old Testament. And so it is clear that you can't make, <clears throat> you can't make any um, changes to the text. And so why is this important? And so now I'm going to give an example and, and deal with the whole incest. So we're familiar with the story of Lot. And so the story of Lot starts in Genesis 19 and 1. And so I'll just read. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, or in the evening. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, in, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned unto him, and entered into his house. And he made them a feast. And did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. So, in other words, two angels came. It's like, you know, hey, stay with us. You know, I'll, I'll hook you up for the night. You know, uh, you ain't got to worry about nothing. We got food. I'll take care of y'all. You know, uh, chill out here. So, this is what a lot of saying. So, now, <clears throat> but before they lay down, uh, everybody in the house, the men of the city, keep this in mind, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round 
both old and young, all the people from every quarter. So every man, both young and old, surrounded the house. And now, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And in the Bible, when you know somebody, this is a, a, a colloquialism for to have sex with them. So these men are homosexuals. All the men in the city surrounded the compound as a, as a, a homosexuals who surrounded the house. And they're asking for the two angels to come out. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. And said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And then this is the important part here that I have in red. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. That means they're virgins. Let me know, excuse me, let me, I pray you, bring them, the two daughters, out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. In other words, take my daughters, but leave the angels alone. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. They are my guests. So instead of, you know, trying to have sex with the angels, here's my two virgin daughters I'm offering to y'all. Remember that all the men of the city, old and young, came and surrounded this compound. So in other words, Lot is offering his two virgin daughters to get gang raped by all the homosexual men in the, um, the text. And so when we're talking about morality, which is one of the charges against the Hebrew Israelites, mm -hmm. how can you have a charge of morality when this is going down here? But it, it gets even better. And they said, stand back, and they said again, this one fellow came into Sir John, and he, was, he will needs be a judge. Now we'll, we'll, we'll deal worse the... Um, then with them and they pressed sore upon the man even lot and came near to break the door so they they like forget the daughters you know of course they're gay they don't want you know women they come to rush the door to tear down to get at the angel so that they were just so full of the the, the spirit that they had to come you know um manhandle the uh <coughs> the the angels and so what, what, what gets us, so we have that issue here. And then we have Simon Peter, who is an apostle of Jesus the Christ. Um, he reminds his readers about Sodom and Gomorrah and spoke of Lot as being a righteous man amongst the wicked. And so if anybody remembers the rest of the story of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, the angels rescue Lot and his family and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with hell and brimstone. And the wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. And um, so they thought it was the end of the world. Lot's two daughters said, well, let's basically repopulate the earth with our father. So the father, so they had children by their father. So it's a, a situation of incest. And it's going to be key a little later. But what gets me just getting back on the daughter situation is that Simon Peter is calling Lot a righteous man. So how I'm, I'm trying to figure out what makes Lot righteous by offering his virgin daughters to be gang raped by um, a gang of homosexual men. Something doesn't seem right about this. And so <laughs> um, this continues the story about basically 
um, how they in Genesis 19 to 30, how the uh, the two daughters each had children, you know, um, by Lot. So their their children is is a byproduct of an incestuous relationship. So how can you charge Kemet about incest? And you have in your stories here from the uh, a just and righteous man who had incest with his daughters. The daughters got him drunk, you know, before Cosby, you know, allegations, you know, we have this stuff in the Bible, you know, and, and it comes from a, a, an incestual situation. We have to keep genealogies intact in because Lot, through his daughters, gave birth to a son named Moab. Moab is the uh, the father of Ruth. Ruth is the great-grandmother of David. And David is of the line that ultimately gives the seed to Jesus Christ. So from this text, if they have an issue with incest, then why don't they have an issue with Christ who comes from uh, an ancestral relationship? And these are the things that we have to keep in mind here. So again, it's the issue of the the kettle calling the pot black. And so, um, you know, there was a number of different things that was, was hit on. And so I, I was making these notes. I won't go on Yahweh being a hypocrite right now. But we want to have this charge against, you know, ancient Egypt in terms of a um, what is better. And so, you know, I want to I jump real quick to the flyer. Because this seems to have been skipped throughout the discussion. And that is, on the flyer it says, Kemet on trial. But then there's a subtopic that says, Now Valley Consciousness or Bible Teachings. Which one is best for our people? Now, if you, if you are taking up this topic, you would hear them all night kept saying, Kemet on trial, Kemet on trial. Keep it on trial. But if you agree to this topic here, you automatically put your tradition on trial because now you have to prove over the other, the opposite side, that um, your tradition is better, which means that we be, are able to cross-examine, you know, any and everything that you hold dear. And so it made no sense for them to, to keep arguing Kemet on trial because by agreeing to the topic, they automatically put themselves on trial. So when we're talking about now Valley consciousness or Bible teachings, which one is best for our people, we have to ask in what domains. And so this wasn't discussed. And so what we would argue is that in every domain of human life, the, the comedic tradition is a thousand times more credible and better than the Hebrew Israelite tradition. And one of them is because the, the ancient Egyptian tradition is a living tradition. That means let's say that we do find an issue with a certain doctrine or behavior. We can update and say that we no longer do this. They're stuck in a perpetual loop. And so because you're stuck in a perpetual loop, you can never advance. And so your, your, your tradition is dead and you will always be um, in um, a particular uh, rut, for instance, that we would think is all right to offer our virgin daughters for example, to be raped, gang raped by the townsmen. And so, you know, these are the, the kinds of issues that we need to um, um, particularly address. And so there was something last night um, 
that I wanted to, uh, you know, get into is in regards to the education of, of Kemet. And so, you know, if, if the Hebrew Israelite education system, for example, was to be followed, because this is one of the domains of life. So if the Bible teaching is better than Kemet, then it should be known that the Hebrew Israelite education system, for example, is better than Kemet's. But when we look into the ancient records, for example, <laughs> we don't find this. And so here's an ancient Egyptian text of an individual by the name of Winamun, who was a priest of Amun. And he was sent to Lebanon, which is in Phoenicia. And he's interacting with a Phoenician king. And the Phoenician king is going to reveal something real quick. And the, the, um, so here's the dialogue. It says, and this is the Metanetra transliteration. So when you go to this papyrus, this number here, 120, you can go to these lines, you, you'll see these transliteration. Of, well, if I had to, well, I had the hieroglyphs here, um, but it's too small to, you know, to really read. So here's the hieroglyphs, and, and here's the text. So it says, true, Amun found all countries. The god Amun founded all countries in the world. He found them, but he found the country of Egypt, where indeed you come from, you being when the moon. So this is the, the, the Phoenician uh, king talking right now. Where indeed you come from, before all others. So the country of Egypt, you know, was founded by Amun before all others. So Egypt, according to them, would be the oldest, you know, uh, country or state. And it was from there, Egypt that perfection spread and this is a key word it says and it was from there egypt that perfection spread to reach this place where i am phoenicia egypt being the source from where perfection and education spread it was also from there that education spread to reach this place where i am so all that they know in phoenicia according to the phoenician um prince or, or king is coming from ancient egypt so even in the ancient days, those in the area, which is supposed to be Palestine, Syria, and all that, they gave deference to Egypt. So how can you, you know, argue that the Hebrew tradition is, is um, hands over uh, foot or whatnot for, uh, over ancient Egypt when the people in that area was giving deference to ancient Egypt? <laughs> we have Plato, <clears throat> who uh, in his laws, there's... Um, about eight or nine books of the laws, he's having a dialogue with an individual, um, the Athenian and um, uh, Cleneus. These two are uh, having a dialogue, and so he's supposed to be the, the Athenian. And here they're giving deference to the ancient Egyptian education system. And so, you know, in subject matters, for example, in gymnastics, dance, music, singing, child's games, whose social importance is obvious, Cleneus asked the Athenian, and that's supposed to be 1A, what suitable principle were to be found and applied to the children in our country? In other words, you know, who in the world has something that we can utilize to teach our children? To which the Athenian replies, to achieve such a goal, is there anyone among us who has a better method than that of the Egyptians? So even in... Even amongst the Greeks, they recognized and gave deference in terms of education that the Egyptians were the best in the world at this. And so if we're going to adopt anybody's um, educational system, we need to uh, adopt the ancient Egyptians. This is in the records. And so this is where you can find it. This is the source. 
And so we got Aristotle. Aristotle lets us know in his uh, on meteorology. Moreover, Egypt was the cradle of the mathematical arts. So anybody, you know, talking about they had some high science and math and things of this nature, the people back in the day was letting you know where the, math, where the mathematical arts came from. No, nobody gives any deference to Hebrew Israelites nowhere on the planet, you know, at this time. <laughs> the cotangent, for anybody who's in engineering, you know that you cannot create any, you know, large structures or anything without any knowledge of cotangent. And so we have a, a, a more recent you know, a mathematician who wrote this book in French, uh, The History of Mathematics, A Histoire de Mathematiques, Volume 1, uh, to construct the pyramids, they, the ancient Egyptians, had to use the equivalent of our modern cotangent, Jean-Paul uh, Colette in the University of Quebec in um, Canada. So even in modern times, they're giving deference to the ancient Egyptians in what they were um, uh, doing. <laughs> and so... On gender relations, again, we have a situation where in the biblical text that women are basically just byproducts, you know, non-agents of their life, people who are not uh, awarded respect. This is why they, they, they consider Lot a just man for offering his virgin daughters to be gang raped by a gang of uh, homosexual men in the town because a woman is worth nothing in the Bible. And so, but that's not the case when you come to ancient Egypt. You are reverenced. And so there's a great hymn to Isis, which we know is Aset, uh, the, the great uh, feminine uh, patriarchist um, who uh, is, is the model of womanhood in ancient Egypt. And so in this hymn, it says, the goddess of numerous games, pride of the female sex, thou reigneth in the sublime and the infinite. Thou wanteth women at the age of procreation to come and anchor with men. So this goes against that homosexuality stuff because they're saying that, you know, uh, women are supposed to be and anchor themselves with men. To come and anchor with men. It is thee, the mistress of the earth. Thou maketh the power of women equal to that of men. So you have equality between the sexes in ancient Egypt. You cannot find anything comparable to this in the biblical text to where women are thought of as equal as, as men in terms of respect and where they, where they give deference to the feminine principle. And so we have Patahotep, you know, giving some advice, you know, because one of the charges was uh, how can this stuff be useful for us in modern times? And it shows that these people are Chemites. They don't know Egypt. They don't read. And so I dare any anybody um, to have an issue with this. If Patahotep speaking to men in general, if you are worthy and establish your, your house, love your wife passionately and rightfully, give her food and clothe her, oil is the prescription for her body, make her happy as long as you live, for she is a valuable field for her Lord. Do not judge her, deliver her from the violence, suppress it, for her eye is a storm wind when she sees it. Soothe her heart with what you have gained. Thus you will cause her to remain in your house. How to be, no one's going to argue against this. This is teach you how to keep your marriage together. You know, don't judge her, you know, wrong. You know, provide for her. Soothe her, massage her. Things of this nature, which is standard stuff in a, in a, in a, in a relationship today. Stuff that you can use. You can't find anything comparable to this in the biblical text. 
We have the scribe Ani, you know, of the New Kingdom, who has some advice as it regards male-female relationships. Again, this message is specifically to the men. He states, do not supervise your wife in the house when you know she is excellent. Do not say to her, where is it, or bring it to us when she has put it in, her, in the proper place. Let your eyes observe and keep silent, and you will come to perceive her superior practice. There is happiness when you support her. There are many men who do not know this, but if a man refrains from provoking strife at home, he will not experience its inception. Every man who wishes to establish a house must discipline the unrestrained heart and mind. Again, relationship advice. You can't get this from Christ. Daughter, this is uh, you know, one of the declarations uh, of innocence, one of his, uh, the bibliographies in this particular text. It says, there was no citizen's daughter whom I misused. There was no widow whom I oppressed. There was no peasant whom I have drove back. There was no herdsman who I repelled. There was no overseer or workers whose people I seized for their taxes. And there was no one hungry in my time. I gave to the widow like to her who had a husband. I did not distinguish the great from the small in all that I gave. So no matter who it was, regardless to what your social status, this is what I did. You know, I never took advantage of someone's daughter. You know, this, these are the kinds of things that you find, you know, um, in, the, in the Egyptian records. Unlike what GMS talking about, you know, they, you can just rape, uh, uh, just grab a woman and rape, you know, her off the street. And then, you know, she's forced to marry you, the person who raped her. And so we have a rape culture in the Bible, you know, according to these uh, individuals. And so this is another thing. And so, you know, people, you know, uh, you know, I don't know Brother Hashar. I'm pretty sure he's a cool um, um, person. But one of the things that you, you always get with the Hebrew Israelite camps is that they're always hollering and yelling, you know, at folks. This is even taboo in the ancient Egyptian, you know, saying records. So we have poor boy here who teaches, do not make your mouth harsh or speak loudly with your tongue. For a loud voice does damage to the body just like an illness. And so speaking loud, speaking harshly, you know, yelling at folks is seen as an illness. It's a sign of immaturity. And so because you can't make your point eloquently, you can't, you can't, um, you know, get the right words together. Your speech isn't eloquent. You, you are forced to yell in, at folks, you know, to get your point across. It's just like what children do, you know, when they're babies, because they can't speak. The, the only way they can get your attention is if they cry. And so this is, this is why it's seen as a, a sign of immaturity when you always have to yell. So this is all we kept seeing, you know, all through the night um, coming from the Hebrew camps. And, and so, you know, another uh, declaration of innocence. A Ramesside priest of Amen named Bakken Kansu in his declaration of, of, excuse me, declaration of virtues goes on to outline first his conduct in the temple and afterwards his ethical consideration of others. Thus he states, I did not do isfet or evil in this house. I did not raise my voice or command in his presence. We have, again, just more evidence that raising your voice is a sign of immaturity uh, and, and disrespect, and it's something that we don't do. And so we other uh, declarations, this is from the Papyrus of Ani, Declarations of Innocence B. I have not been ill-tempered. I have not been hot-tempered. I have not quarreled with others. I have not been aggressive. I have not misrepresented my nature. I have not uh, been of loud voice. So again, we have here, I have not been of loud voice. And so this, this, this talking over people, this, this disrespect, this is something that is not 
um, tolerated in ancient Egyptian culture because we believe that everybody should be treated with respect and that, you know, we, we assume that you're an intelligent person and you don't have to fall victim to um, emotionalism. And so, um, you know, part of that reason is because we see the God in everybody. And so here's a particular text that, you know, reinforces this, um, where it says, I know the God that dwells in man. And knowing him, I know this from that, therefore right and wrong, and perform the task accordingly. Because I, I, I see you and I know the God that is in you, I do not treat you, you know, or, or mistreat you anyway, because that's disrespecting God himself. And so I don't have to raise my voice and yell at individuals because, you know, this is uh, 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 against, you know, cultures. It does not foster good human relations. <laughs> and so even in medicine, you have Homer, the Greek. He says, for the fertile soil of Kemet is the most rich in herbs, many of which are wholesome in solution, though many are poisonous. And in the medical knowledge, the cremations leaves the rest of the world behind. He is the true son of Paon, the healer. Again, ancient records giving deference, saying out of anybody who's talking about medicine, the ancient Egyptians are, are you know, surpass everyone in the rest of the world. <laughs> and so I won't get on the ethics of life. Um, was another thing in terms of, you know, in terms of the education, why it's so thorough. Again, Plato in the Laws, Book 7, he says, it is much more damaging on the contrary to have learned a lot and to know a lot without method. Method is the basis of all scholarship and scientific inquiry. And he said, it is much more damaging on the contrary to have learned a lot and, and to know a lot without method. And this is what I kept seeing last night. They, they can reference a lot of work, but they have no methodology. They have no, no science, no you know, understanding of what they read. And this is why they kept getting chopped down, because they have no method. That's not the ancient Egyptian way. Ancient Egyptians, for example, they named their papyrus. This is the, the Rhine Mathematical Papyrus. This is the title of the papyrus. The right method, tep -seb. this is the word here for right method, of investigating nature to know all that exists, all mysteries and all things secret. For that purpose, this papyrus roll was copied. This is the word tepeseb. This is the scientific method. And so Plato is one who studied in ancient Egypt and got to know about method. So when we're talking, there's a reason why all of these ancient cultures are giving deference to the ancient Egyptians. Because they have a method, a scientific approach to the study of nature. They just don't put two random stuff together and think that they know something. <clears throat> and so there was another charge in the, um, the, the Hebrew-Israelite debate. And this is, again, dealing with the incest and brothers and sisters. And so, again, these, these Hebrew-Israelites, who I'm calling the Chimu, or the Hemites, the people who don't know. They don't know Egypt, and so they make up half-witted um, concepts and don't know exactly what they're talking about. Now, uh, if I would have been given the opportunity, <laughs> if I would have been given the opportunity that night, I would have, um, hold on one sec. All throughout the night, they kept throwing this concept of incest. So we dealt with incest in the Bible earlier. And so uh, Polite gave an explanation uh, as, as it regards to the, the, the nature of the brother and sister. But I want to give something that's a little bit more expansive. And so 
what I want to do is show, for instance, I'm going to knock two birds out with one stone. And so um, you can put the, uh, the camera. I mean, this, this text here is by Dr. Kipkowitz Sambu. And so this is, this is a text that everyone needs to get. And it's uh, called The College and People's Egypt Origin, Legend Revisited, was Isis, Isis. And in this text, uh, he outlines and lays out the Collagen people. These are people who live in uh, East Africa. And so you may be familiar with them if you're familiar with the long distance running. And so for those people in Kenya, because the Collagen people, are, you know, and, and probably the Hutu, I mean, um, the, yeah, the, the Tutsis, uh, are the ones who usually win all the time. And so those are those long-distance runners. They come from a pastoralist, you know, um, a nomadic background. And so the Collagen people are in southern part of ancient Egypt, I mean, southern part of Egypt, uh, Sudan, Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, and there may be some in Tanzania. And so that's, that's their primary, you know, area. But what's important is that these are actually descendants of ancient Egyptians. And so, you know, the challenge is, can you find a Hebrew, black Hebrew Israelite community that has a community that is uninterrupted since ancient times where they still have their customs and they still have their language and they still live in their ancestral lands? You can't find this. And so when um, Hashar brought up the brother, the, the African-American brother who uh, lives in um, Israel, uh, it was... It was, it was for show, but it didn't mean anything because these are African-Americans who came and lived over there. It's no different than us moving to France and, and saying, you know, you know, we live, we got communities in France. But do you have communities, you know, ancient uh, Hebrew communities that live in the same area, still speak the, their language and still have their customs uh, that has an unbroken chain? you know, to their ancient traditions. We have individuals just like this, uh, whole communities that live in several different African states. And so this out trumps, you know, um, anything that they can possibly talk about in terms of their recent migrations. But in this particular text, I won't read all of this, but in this particular text, and you can read this, this will be for the record, so you have the page um, and uh, page number of this. He talks about how the uh, the the collagen individuals, the collagen people, have how they do their, their concept of ma'at. And this is the word ma'at here. This is actually in their language. And ma'at is also a word dealing with family. It, it's, a, it's a torch that is passed on from generation to generation. But not only that, in African um, societies, you have what we call age-grade systems. So let's just assume, for example, that everyone in this room here is, um, yeah. <laughs> let's assume that everyone here. We live, we live right now, so okay. All right. Okay, so let's assume that everyone in this room here is of the same age grade in the, uh, the collagen and ancient Egyptian society. If we all get initiated at the same time, we belong to the same mat. This is what you're dealing with mat. And so when you're talking about the ethical obligations to your mat or maat, this is what they're talking about here. We have, we have an obligation as brothers to take care and make sure that, you know, everyone's on the up and up. But you also have women that are initiated. They're initiated separately, but they're all part of the same mat. 
And so what it says here says more remote relations on the paternal side are just Mott, who may still be described as Kitupchi. We are brothers, or we are brother and sister, sister and brother, or we are sisters, whichever combination is applicable to the speaker and the persons being spoken about. And so if you marry someone who is from your, your mat, your age grade, if you are a male, you have married your sister. If they are a woman, you have married your brother. And this is what you find in the ancient Egyptian records in terms of the kings and queens. They weren't marrying their literal brothers and sisters. They were from the same age grade because you can't marry somebody that's in your parents' age grade. And you can't marry somebody that's in your lower age grade because they're considered your sons and daughters. And so you marry your brother or sister, the people that is in your age grade. And so the age grades range from like, you know, five to seven years. So that's 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 the age range. You know, um, no, no, it's actually about 20, about seven to 15 years. And so, you know, so every 15 to 20 years, it actually changes. But that's the, the range that it has. And so um, he goes in some more to talk about the twins concept. I won't get into that. Um, this is an early work in 1909 that interviewed the college and people that reinforces this. So we have early records before Christianity or Islam penetrated the college and people. And so, um, but here's another thing. This is a, uh, a text, you know, the ancient Egyptian uh, chronology <laughs> uh, edited by Eric Hornong et al. Uh, there's a cat by the name of Jay Moje uh, in his review of this work of family terms and the limitations of using genealogies for dating purposes. He notes, also, the missing of proper genealogical terms in the Egyptian language is notable. For example, there are no separate words for uncle or nephew. So for simplification, sin, which is the word commonly used for brother, can mean brother, uncle, or nephew. But even a good friend can be called sin. And so this term is, is hard to say because, um, you know, how they're using it, because it can mean brother, uncle, or nephew. Um, but it can also, a good friend could be simply called brother. It's no different than what we do as African-Americans in the modern time. And so, you know, uh, that's my brother over there, or is he a brother? You know, th these are stuff that was stressed. But we have, you know, um, our, uh, anthropologists, linguists, and all of this uh, saying the same thing. And so this was in uh, the Journal of Archaeology of Egypt, 2008. And so, you know, Marcel Griolet, um, talking about the Dogon, talks about the same concept um, in amongst the Dogon individuals. So we have extra African uh, <laughs> issues there, I mean, uh, support there. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. I won't go through that, I'll just for the record so you can see it. Um, How do you, you know. get past that, though? I mean, you can yeah. get past that, understand. That's the, the importance of understanding African culture, man. Exactly. And so y'all missed most of the uh, what was um, happening before, but I just wanted to answer some of what's his name? Brother Divine. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, I'll, I'll deal with Nasi first, because Brother Nasi made a claim that the word medonetcher was not used as a phrase together in the language that you couldn't find it anywhere. And so immediately i knew that was false and so i went here to the oh, i'm sorry um the egyptian language thesaurus 
it's it's a French website, but the everything is written in German because uh, it's drawing from the the Germanic Wörterbuch, Erman Grappa Wörterbuch dictionaries. And so, what's good about this site <laughs> is that you can do a search. That's what this word "lamenta" uh, is for a term or a phrase, and it will tell you not only you know where to find it in the dictionary. Not only where to find it in the dictionary, but also where to find them in the papyruses, in the papyri, or, or as still as or wherever it's located in ancient Egypt. So we have 31 attestations of the word metanecher, which is in the red here that we see. And so not only that, they give the transliterations of the phrase, phraseology around the term in which you searched. And the German um, translation, you know, here on the right. So we see from here... Um, I can't see from this distance, but um, I could just look. You know, um, in, in the Saqqara text of Unis, you know, you see this word metanecher, you know, here in the phrase. So we have in the Berlin papyrus and the, uh, the Amherst papyrus right here, metanecher. All of these different uh, Amherst papyrus here, metanecher, 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 as a phrase. So you can go into these texts if you can find the primary Look at it, look into this area where it's located and see the word and phrase metanetra in the hieroglyphs. So where Nazi got that from, I have no idea. This is why I'm calling the, the Hebrews Hamites, those who don't know, Egypt. And so, you know, they're, they're ignorant of Egypt and they keep making these, these aren't even rookie mistakes. These is, you know, before a rookie, before you even get to rookie stage. <laughs> you know, um, and then, you know, Brother Divine said that you can't read the determinatives in terms of their being silent. And so this is um, a particular text. <laughs> and so this is, this is Dr. Mube, uh, Mubabinge Bilolo, who's an Egyptologist out of the Congo, uh, and linguist and Bantuologist and philosopher. So he, he speaks, writes in uh, German, French, Greek, Chiluba, uh, the Metanecher. You know, he knows a few Semitic languages. Uh, he's, a, he's a real polyglot. And, and when he's examining the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs, he's reading the, I don't know if you can see, you know, this, for example, the, the Metanecher, the determinatives, and when he does, they're, they're uh, complete words in his language. So one of the theses of Dr. Mubabenge Bilolo is that the Metanecher language is kin to his language, his native language, Shiluba Bantu in Central Africa. And so all of these words that we find in the Metanecher, we speak on this on a regular basis. And so the Metanecher language is, is a living language in Central Africa, not including the collagen who we just mentioned, you know, who has an a, a immediately direct connection. But in here, you know, these are um, phrases. So I'm giving you the book. I'm giving you, for example, page 128, 129. And so because they, they aren't students of the Metanetra, they aren't students of um, Egyptology, and they're still stuck on works from the 70s on back, they aren't on this new scholarship and, and, and can't refute anything um, to that nature. And so... It's, it's interesting. So we already hit up, for example, the collagen people. And then we have this author here, uh, Abu Bakri Musalam. 
And Abu Bakri Musalam has written uh, several texts. Here's so he's talking about the African, I mean, the Egyptian origins of the Pular people, people in West Africa. And in this text, in the back of the text, is, it's a work written in French. Mubabinge um, Bilolo's works are in French, and this author's works are in French. So you have to be able to read and understand French to, to get at it. But what's interesting is this last chapter here on... Uh, I don't think it's the last chapter, probably the second to the last. Yeah, with uh, dealing with Yaro Diallo. Um, this is what I'm looking at here. Uh, I'm talking about the migrations between the Nile and Senegal, um, you know, in terms of the conversation of Yaro Diallo. And so there's records in the old days, in, the, in, the, in like the 1800s and 1700s, this is 1800s actually, um, of Europeans coming in and taking data on the Pular or the Fulani people in Senegal. And they're talking about their ancient Egyptian origins. And when they started examining their, their uh, conversation concerning their origins in Egypt, what's unique about this is that they were naming pharaohs who they were uh, under. And so when you, when you look at the language and, and, and Abu Bukri Musalam is an Egyptologist and also a linguist. And he's looking at the, the, the languages and how they're pronouncing it, and everything lines up. We can actually find these actual pharaohs, you know, from the time in which they moved out of ancient Egypt. And this was uh, more during the time of the uh, Greek and Roman period that they moved out into West Africa. And we find stories like this all of the time. And so, you know, some of these Fulani people ended up in America and is, are African-Americans. And so it's not surprising that you would see, for instance, somebody's DNA like Brother Unks, which he showed in the, um, in the, in the presentation that, uh, you know, his, his DNA goes all the way to East Africa. My DNA goes all the way to East Africa, but in, in Southeast, um, in East Africa. And so, you know, when they're talking about, you know, who are these communities that exist or who are these people that are the ancient Egyptians in West and South and Central Africa, we can say that. You know, we can say, for example, who they are. And this is why they won't take any DNA test, you know, because they can't prove DNA-wise that they are Hebrew Israelites. <laughs> and so. Hey, 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 man. Hey, feel good, yo, to be the king of New York, man. You know what I mean? Smash Rock Wells. Hey man, you know he was being nice. He was like, yeah. He said the Kemet was on the ropes, and then the Amaral squad came. But I knew it. I knew it. We ain't even break out the thermonuclear weapons. We ain't do none of that, man. It was on some real quick, yo. Let me ask something that. I don't think Brother Smalls was talking about we was on the ropes in that debate. I think he meant like. Over the, over, past, over the past, yeah, a few debates. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. there wasn't no time we was on the ropes in that debate. I'm like, what was he looking at? Yeah, yeah. Even polite segment? Yeah. Nah, nah, he was just saying. Polite, nah, nah, polite. Hey, hey, I'm going to tell you, yo, polite need to stop that putting on that show like that, yo, because he had me hype. He showed that plane ride. Yeah, that was yeah that <laughs> <laughs> He need to cut. Hey, but hey, well, now y'all know officially what a goddamn scholarship is, man. Now y'all understand the difference, yo. Now they yeah, get it. That's Ward. Because that's why I stressed earlier the issue of method. Because you can have all the books in the world. You can write anything. I can write something on a napkin. You know, and it can be the truth or it can be falsehood. The, the issue is, do you have the correct method to be able to investigate and verify that which you are claiming? And so that's what, um, you know, for instance, what's his name? Um, 
Shaka, you know, was saying about uh, uh, their their sources. You 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 uh, you'll get the source, but you won't. Um, Oh yeah, good. Hey, let me just say something that Shaka did that no other scholar has ever done that I've ever witnessed. He showed a connection between Judah and Israel and Kemet without the Bible. People always mention a many op. They always mention all these quotes, but nobody has ever brought out the scholarship showing the beetle with the angst and showing that they have had stuff in, 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 um, in Israel and Judah. All the kings, they were basically vassal kings, and nobody has ever drawn it. Let me say something, Shaka. The debate was over after you left. Trust me. They, they were trying to recover after. And GOCC, y'all let me down, man. That's all I got to say. <laughs> All right, without any further ado, I'm going to bring on one of the members from the Amirah squad. He goes by the name of Sinjetti. Brother Sinjetti, what is your take on the debate? And then talk about what you're about to show the people. Okay. All right, peace, everybody. Um, Hotep, Lafayette, uh, Shalom, everybody. Um, my take on the debate was it looked more like personal attacks. Um, when my brother and I walked in, you know, it was on Brother Polite's book, you know, and it was very personal. I didn't really see scholarship. Now, you know, there, there's, there's an issue, pardon me, okay, thank you, thank you for that correction, Brother Shockers. Um, what scholarship actually is, what is scholastic? It's not just about putting words up on the screen and slapping up pictures. What type of research is behind that? What type of studying and financial and time investment goes into what you're um, discussing, okay? Anybody could just slap some pictures up on the screen, but do you, are you learnt in the subject matter? And that's the issue that, you know, we're seeing in the so-called conscious community, okay? And a lot of people are not accountable for the information that they're putting out. So that, that's very, very problematic. So what you're about to show us? Serious. Okay. Um, on the screen, what I'm about to show you is... Um, we're going to talk about the chronology. It's not going to be a lot of detail, but just a couple of main points so that the audience can really get a better idea how are we going to look at issues of chronology. Now, Dr. Clark, Dr. John Henry Clark, their great ancestor, you know, he, he teaches us that, you know, history is our time clock, okay? And you have to know your point in time in history. What, what is your barometer? What is your compass, Okay. And it's very important. Um, and, again, Brother Sar talked about method, okay? So I'm not going to go deep into method, but um, for this, I use what's called an Afrocentric approach, okay? Some people may have problems with the term, okay? But, again, it's about looking at African phenomenon from the standpoint of Africans themselves. And if you're not doing that, especially when that information is readily available to you, then you know, there is going to be a huge gap in scholarship. So if we're talking about um, the cultural practices in regards to sexuality, for example, homosexuality, why are you not looking at it from the Egyptian standpoint, okay? And then you can put what, um, what other contemporary people, what is their view of that? But you're judging it from an outside source. What are they saying about the sexuality, okay? And the texts are, are abundant. And when you look into the languages, you know, as uh, you know, our brother Jonathan demonstrated. You know, the okay. The yes. Exactly, and that's what happens when you actually invest time in studying 
the culture, the language, okay, the customs and the history to understand it from its own standpoint. Okay, so that's so when I say the Afrocentric method, that's what I mean by that. Okay. Um, so let's go here. So this, you know, an overview of the ancient Kemetic or Egyptian chronology. All right, issues and challenges. Just a couple of points. All right, first, um, hold on, how do we go right here? All right, again, Afrocentric perspective definition. This is from Dr. Asante. All right, in regards to theory, it is the, in the center of any analysis of African phenomena. So again, if we're talking about Kemet or Kemet on trial, then you have to look at Kemet from its African phenomenon, okay? Not from the biblical phenomenon. Otherwise, you're going to come up short. Thus, it is possible for anyone to master the discipline of seeking the location of Africans in a given phenomenon. Where are the Africans in this? Okay, let's go to the next. All right, now I'm going to need to modify this. All right. Use your, um, your pointer. Check it out. See that? That goes forward backwards. No, no. Okay. Yeah, because I need to, because I need to go down. Okay. All right. Hopefully you can see this. Now, if if you look at the, hold on. Okay. This is the dynasties produce, um, and this is, and I reproduced this from John G. Jackson's Man God of Civilization. He put an excellent list in here. Now, um. These are many of the main people from Manetho's time. Manetho, again, he's a high priest in ancient Kemet in the third century who put together a chronology. Okay, he wasn't the first to put together the chronology. All right, but again, he's an African. And then further down, you have others such as Wilkinson in the 1800s. You have Champollion. We need to know who these people are, what are their backgrounds, okay, in relation to the subject in which they are studying. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all the numbers, but again, Manetho, Dynasty 1, then it goes to Dynasty 6, 12, and 18. All right, so Dynasty 1, Manetho says it's 5700 BCE. All right, now again, this is an African from that culture, okay, from that culture. And then uh, Dynasty 6, 4300 BCE, Dynasty 12, 3400, then you have Dynasty 18, uh, 1700 BCE. Okay. Now, hmm? All right. Let's see. Okay. There you go. All right. So this is where Manetho is. Now, down here again. These are other scholars. Yes, these are Europeans. All right. So again, you have Wilkinson, 1836. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because in a in a past discussion, our brother Nasi brought up that he believes that the first dynasty of ancient Kemet starts about 2000 BCE. This is an improbability. All right. No Egyptologist, no archaeologist in the world is going to agree with this. Nobody. But anyway, Wilkerson in 1836 is the closest person that might agree with him. Again, 1836. And he puts the first dynasty at 2320 BCE. All right. Now, obviously, that was dismissed. All right. Now, Jean Champollion. In the 1830s, he put it at 58, 57 BCE. All right, again, this is closer to Manetho. All right, we're going to go down. Hold on. Let's go down a little bit. I'm not going to go through all the numbers. All right, you have. Okay, here we have Flinders, uh, we have Petrie, you have Meyer, and we're going to talk about Meyer because he's going to be very important. Okay, 
Meyer put the first dynasty at 3180 BCE. Now, again, when you go to most Egyptological books, um, the first dynasty is going to range between 3400 BCE and now 2900 BCE. And that's somewhere in that range, depending on who the author is and, in that, and that background. All right. Now, Flinders Petrie, all right, he put <clears throat> 5777 BCE, but he did that in 1894. Okay. All right. Of course, later on, he modifies it down here into 4553 BCE. But mind you, Flinders Petrie was an archaeologist, actually. So even though his, he, has, he has different numbers here, he's going to be a little bit more objective than those who have uh, religious and financial incentives to fit their chronologies according to the biblical context, which we'll talk about in a second again. All right. So, again, you all know who James Henry Breasted is. OK, famous Egyptologist. He puts it at 3400 BCE. All right. Petrie, again, he modifies it. You have a man named McNaughton. Okay, in the early 1900s, 1929, he puts it at 5598. Okay, again, McNaughton, he starts to re-examine the data. So this is how it comes up with his numbers. Okay, and of course he makes some modifications later. Now a lot of people like to use um, E. A. Wallace Budge. Now these last three are not do, do, are not in John G. Jackson's book, so that's the addition that I made. All right, now. Um, of course, there's some problems with Budge, but again, he put a 4400 BCE. Now, uh, Budge, he was a curator at the British Museum, so he had direct access uh, to the documents. Okay, now he puts the uh, other dynasties, Dynasty 6 at 3266, Dynasty 12 at uh, 2466, and then Dynasty 18, 15, 33. However, in order to, in order to come with these numbers in between, you, you would have to conflate, all right, or reduce the numbers of the Middle Kingdom and the and what's called the Second Intermediate Period, all right? So, of course, there's going to be some issues with that. And Robin Walker pointed out that um, one of our distinguished scholars, uh, Charles Finch, um, did something similar. Because Charles Finch actually has similar numbers, okay? Uh, even though Charles Finch does a much better job than, say, someone who's saying... 3100 BCE. Okay. Now, here's an, here's an African right here, Wobogo. Now, Wobogo, um, he does some recalculations and he comes up with 4378. Okay. Um, and he reveals that in a publication by ASCAC. All right. Now, Robin Walker, another African. Okay. He puts 5660 BCE. Now, my opinion, he has, at this point, he has one of the most plausible. Um, calculations. However, um, we do have to contend with some of the works of um, Eric Hornung and other Egyptologists. Okay. All right. So let's go, go to the next slide here. Hold on one second. Okay. Are we all? Okay, well, let me, let me make a comment about that, um, about the mishaps from yesterday. Um, the way I see it, um, you know, whatever happens always has a purpose, okay? That's the law of the universe, okay? So, yeah, you know, Brother Sar, myself, you know, even Ankh didn't get a chance to really go in as much as he wanted to, and um, I know Jonathan didn't get a chance. But the way I see it is that um, had we given it, we wouldn't be here right now because perhaps the subject matter for which we're dealing with needs a wider audience, okay? 
and the more in, and for the more intimate setting, so that you know we can have clarity of thought. So that's the way I'm seeing it. Okay, Ashe. All right. All right. So let's get back into this. All right. Let, hold on. Got it. All right. Got on there. Okay. Now, Shekin Adiab, that great ancestor scholar. Okay, in the Africa origin civilization, page 105 to 106, he says this about the chronology. The official date adopted until now for no special reason wavers between 3100 and 3000. Okay, that would be BC, by the way. In actual fact, the choice of 3100 results from no necessity but that of synchronizing Egyptian and Mesopotamian chronology. Okay, in other words, what he's saying is that they are taking Mesopotamia, okay, which they purport is the, uh, the mythical home of the Garden of Eden. Okay? So as long as they can synchronize it together, they can validate themselves. Okay? Let's keep going. The motivating idea is to succeed in explaining Egypt by Mesopotamian. That is, by Western Asia, the original habitat of Indo-Europeans. Okay? And we can also add in the Sem uh, Sem uh, Semitic people as well. So, again, he's telling you this is the motivation that they have before they even get there. And so far as the research and when they're putting these numbers together, they already have in their mind, I need to make sure that this lines up with the biblical narrative before they get there. So it's not objective. All right. The foregoing demonstrates that if we remain within the realm of authentic facts, we are forced to view Mesopotamia as a... Bel belatedly, okay, some people might say Johnny come lately, born daughter of Egypt. The relationships of proto-history do not necessarily imply the synchronization of history of two countries. Okay? So in other words, all right, Kemet stands on its own. Okay? Mesopotamia stands on its own. Okay? So, you know, with the whole Kemet on trial thing, so okay, well, what information do you have, archaeological, anthropological, that can stand on its own? What can you pull from the ground? What can we examine for ourselves from the ground? Where are the, mon where are the monuments? Where's the writing, etc.? Show us, demonstrate for us, without having to go outside to, you know, have it stretch out a sense of validation. Even though you do need other sources, however, what do you have directly? So this is an issue. All right, now let's go into selected backgrounds. I'm going to give you a quick background of Manetho, then um, a, man, uh, a bishop named Usher, then Meyer, Bressed, and Kraus. All right, background, Manetho, remember, third century priest of Sabinitos, which is in northern Kemet. All right, he wrote a book called Aegypticus. The histories of the okay, and, and it is a history of the dynasties as ordered by Ptolemy I. Mind you, Ptolemy is a Greek who took political power, all right, after Alexander of Macedonia, okay? I'm not going to call him the great because he's not great for us, okay? So we have to understand that Ptolemy, the Greeks took political control, not cultural control. So keep that in mind. Now, here's a quote from a man named Cynicellus. Therefore, Manetho tells also of five Egyptian tribes which formed 30 dynasties, comprising those whom they call gods, demigods, spirits of the dead, and mortal men. Okay, now mind you, this work was written in Greek, and when Menethe was writing for the Greeks, he's writing in such a way that they can understand, okay?
because again, I'm not familiar with um, a term specifically that mean that actually says demigod, like a half god in Egyptian language. Uh, I mean, you know, again, I'm not sure, but again, um, it's a Greek. Um, yeah, I mean, it could mean like again for us again spirits of the dead. This is deified ancestors. Yeah, right here. But again, I'm, a, I'm talking about the word literally. But again, this is still our concepts. All right. But it, pretty much, yeah. So it's still it's still legit. This is still legitimate, regardless. All right. So we have guys, demigods, etc. But again, he's writing this for the Greeks. All right. Let's keep going. Now, who is this man? James Usher, 17th century Irish bishop. This is uh, one of the primary proponents or men who put together the chronology for the Bible. He did some calculations in the 17th century. He wrote a work called The Annals of the World in 1658. All right. Now, according to his calculations, the world, Genesis, was created the night, of course, you know, the night before, on Sunday, October 23rd, 4004 BCE. Okay? So, his chrono chrono chronology goes from that point all the way to 70 AD. Okay? That's very important because, again, this provides us the motivating factor for later Europeans who are biblically centered and they're going into archaeology, anthropology, and Egyptology, and they have they have things such as this, these paradigms like this, as their motivating factor, okay? Because remember, Diop tells us that they're trying to synchronize Egyptian history with the history of Mesopotamia, all right? So, let's keep going. Uh, let me also make this point. A lot of authors you'll see today who are heavy into Kemet, but they'll write books trying to find, say, Moses in Egypt, you know, like, you know, these pharaohs, the Hebrew pharaohs, etc. They have this type of motivation behind them because, they're, again, they're trying to synchronize it because, again, they don't have records that can stand on its own. Let's keep moving. Okay. Now, who is this man? All right. In 1887, Professor Edward Meyer of the University of Berlin proposed a first dynasty date of 3180 BCE. Robert Walker put this in his book. Now, this is one of his books here. Uh, it was written in German. Okay. Let's keep moving. Uh huh. Let me see if we're going to. Egyptian Zor Zeltzer Pyramid Birch. Yeah, it's German. All right. Let's keep going. Now, this is James Henry Breasted. James Henry Breasted is an American um, Egyptologist, and he was a disciple of Meyer. Okay, mm -hmm. this is very important because again, Meyer, again, German, all right, and they have this biblical background. So um, he is the teacher of this man, Henry Breasted, and James Henry Breasted is the founder of what? The Oriental Institute of Chicago, all right, and the Oriental Institute of Chicago is one of the main centers that dispenses information on Kemet, okay? as far as so-called mainstream Egyptology, okay? You know, even in Cairo, they, uh, in a sense, submit to the ideals coming from this place, the Orient Institute of Chicago, all right? Now, again, even though there's a lot of good information and prominent information that comes out of it, but, again, we have to understand the backgrounds. 
he puts the first dynasty again, 3400 BCE. All right. Now, this is, we're going to start getting into this whole, you know, the first dynasty starts at 2000 BCE, as our brother Nasi Yashavel claimed. Okay. Because, again, you know, you have to examine all the data. Because when he came on the show, the Amaras Squad show, I asked him, said, have you examined works such as the Tablet of Saqqara? Did you look at the Royal, Turin, uh, Royal Papas of Turin? Did you look at the Hall of Ancestors from the tomb of Sadie I? All right. Have you read the book by Manetho? All right. Have you, have you, what, what have you examined that got, gave you the idea that's 2000 B.C.? All right. His response was, well, many of the dynasties ran concurrently. We're going to answer that in, in this right here. All right. Now, again, before we move on, I'm going to make the point that I said, well, if all those dynasties ran together, why is it I can find, let's say, the end of the 12th dynasty? We have a queen. All right. And if I remember right, her name is Sebek Hotep. All right. And then she goes and marries a man from the north. OK. Instead of someone directly from the bloodline. OK. And then another dynasty starts after that point. And then the priesthood of Amun, they start their own thing because they disagree with her marrying a man from the north. All right. So why is it that I can find a point, an end point and a starting point? All right. That's a demonstration. All right. Let's go back to this. Now, and this is going to address the dating. The calendar was introduced in the middle of the 43rd century BCE or 42, 41 BCE. This is the oldest fixed date in history. This is what James Henry Brester said. Again, this is going to uh, refute this whole 2000 BCE. All right, let's keep going. All right, now, all right, now, this man, Rolf Krauss. Now, this is written. In, this is a book he writes in French. Uh, Moïse le Pharaon. In other words, it means Moses the Pharaoh. All right, this is the French edition. In this book. <laughs> is where he's claiming that the pharaoh Amun Mise is Moses, okay? So I heard that brought up. I'm not sure um, who brought that up. Polite? Um, yes. All right, this, is, this man, Ralph Krauss, he brings that up in his book here, all right? So, again, we have to understand where the sources are, all right? Again, he had a Christian background as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is, this is where one, of the, one of the places you can get that from. I'm not sure if, they're, if they can read French, but again, he writes the book in French. All right, now, R. Krauss also is one of the leading um, authorities on the chronology of Kemet, okay? Now, again, not, now I'm not saying that he's necessarily all correct, but again, as, as far as the latest dating, and he, he, uh, he was a contributor in a book edited by Eric Hornung in a book called Ancient Egyptian Chronology. This? Yes. So he's a contributor. So this is where this comes from. He puts the first dynasty at 2900 BCE. Notice they keep scaling it back. Why are they doing that? Okay. Now, mind you, the first person, as far as the priest, Manetho, put it together. He said 5700 BCE. You know who Napoleon Bonaparte is, right? All right. Now, in the late 1890s, when Napoleon Bonaparte was spreading his um, empire, all right, he goes into Kemet, right? He brings in an army of so-called scholars with him, all right? We all know about who um, uh, the author of Ruins of the Empire, all right? So they go in there, and they have this idea in their head that black men and women, Africans, Moors or whatever you want to call it, doesn't really matter, okay, are beneath them, 
that we are subservient. All right. So they're going into Kemet with this whole idea of, you know, what James Henry Bristol might will call later on the great white race. OK. Yes. Yes. OK. All right. That all North Africans are part of the great white race and that they are dark skinned Caucasians. All right. So, again, you, yeah, you have. Yeah, you have to understand the background and the motivation behind these theories and who these people are. All right. Now, um, so again, Napoleon Bonaparte goes into uh, Kemet and they are in for a psychological shock. I don't mean just like an individual. Oh, snap. I'm talking about this is a collective shock because in their heads, we're nothing but niggers. OK, property to be owned. Because remember, this is the late 1700s. What? Um, political, social, political, and economic state were we in, okay, around the world, especially here in America, even in Europe. Now, of course, some of our Moors may disagree, but, okay, you know, some of y'all may have been free, but watch this, some of you, okay? That's like, you know, one Negro says, yeah, um, I'm, the first, I'm, the, I'm the only black person in my university, all right? Isn't that great? Or I'm the only free one around here, all right? No, you are only as great or you cannot rise higher than the status of your race, okay? So yeah, a couple of y'all might have it, but again, your respect is gonna come from the group, your power comes from the group base, all right? Let's keep going. <clears throat> now, um, what's the guy, the author? Count Volney, Count Volney oh, yeah, in yeah. Ruins of the Empire. He said he was black, right? Yes, he said he was black, the, the men that whom today we call our slaves and the object of our scorn. And they're looking at the, the Sphinx and, and, the other, and the other monuments. So again, this is a psychological shock. Here's the problem. If they believe, this is critical, if they believe that the world begins at Genesis, or to give, my, give our brothers their respect, better sheaf, okay? Genesis. Um, that's, we can come back to that. Okay. Yeah, as beginning. Better sheaf, yep. So... If the world starts at 4004 BCE at 9 o'clock in the morning, okay, then it's a problem when you put a chronology together that says that the first dynasty of these niggers, because again, that's the back in the 1700s, this is the terms that they're using when they're writing, okay? Exploits of a nigger king, you know, you have books like that. This is what they're saying. You can't have rulership, kingship. Okay, authority of niggers, again, t according to um, the European mindset, ruling and starting at what, 5700 BCE, that predates your beginning of the world at 4004 BCE at 9 o'clock in the morning. So it becomes a problem. So now, this would be one of the motivating factors behind why they keep scaling, scaling the chronology back. Okay? All right, here's other problems and issues. Omission of kings from the list and conflation. All right, now, when you, when you actually go into some of the raw data of when Egyptologists like um, Petrie, um, Budge, and others, they're writing down, especially the early dynasties, like the first dynasty, second dynasty, the issue that they always come across is that they have names of kings that they don't know exactly who they are. But they know, okay, these are First Dynasty kings. However, I don't know exactly where they go. So you're going to have these names of kings who they just omit out of default. Okay? So then they give you this list, 
but you know you're going to have 10 maybe 20 other names that they didn't that they can't account for all right so this is one of the ways that they can conflate or shorten the list okay now then we're going to look at the tablet of, of king jer from the first dynasty we're going to look at the the Dera zodiac we're going to have a nice little lesson right there because we're going to show you how you are going to look at and judge the monuments of Kemet. That's going to help you to judge when the first dynasty starts. We're going to take a quick look at the Tassetian incense burner. You might say the Nubian incense burner. Then we're going to look at the Palette of Narmer. All right. All right. Omission of what's up? Go for it. Um. I'm looking at this detail that uh, uh, did you present, right? And I'm just trying to figure out, like we said, we said that the debate don't really start to the day after. That we can really critique everything, you know what I'm saying? So we can really see how, you know, what's being exposed, man. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. So you're absolutely right. Things happen, you know what I mean, for a reason, yo. But I'm trying to figure out what level are they going to try to use, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to combat that. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? They had the Burger King Power Rangers outfits on. I want to let you know that, right? <laughs> Nazi, I'm telling you, Yajarel, yo. Yo had the, the red, he was the red Power Ranger, yo. Damn, yo. <laughs> yo. Well, you know, Nazi was doing his thing. He came with the energy. I like this energy. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. He, hey, he's getting it in. Hey, um, Yo, man, we gotta stop trying to clown our brothers because of because of their uniform. That's what they that's what they wear. But let me tell you, yes, it is. It's there. No, listen, let me finish. Let me finish. Because this is what they, you know, their belief is. They wear them type of uniforms. We could say the same thing about the comedic people because look at how. Hold up, they wear uniforms as well. If you look at the African Day Parade, you'll see how people come out. You'll see how they come out with the with the um with um Ampu head on and stuff like that. So anybody who don't really understand, they can still make fun of them too. You see what I'm saying? But this is Oh, what I was saying is that, you know, to your point, this is why I bring up the collagen people, because the collagen people, they have an unbroken chain in terms of their their genealogy back to ancient Egypt. They know exactly the, the primary place of their community. We call it Jeddu, but they call it To. That's how they pronounce the that's how they pronounce the word to in what we would consider uh the northern part of, of Egypt, but was their south. And so you can see the 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 outfits that they wore and then in their indigenous communities, that's what they wear. And so we, we can we can compare the jewelry, headdress, all of that. Um, and two, and we have photos and paintings of them in the 1800s, early 1900s that verifies, you know, these particular connections. But you don't find any, again, you don't find any Hebrew Israelite community that's from the, the times of ancient Israel till now that have been living their traditional ways, speaking their traditional language, doing their traditional customs that we can go verify. So when we see the outfits that they have on, we know for a fact 
they weren't wearing them in, in the fashion that they were wearing them, you know, saying in those days. These are new modern renditions, you know, and conceptualizations of their belief of an ancient, you know, because they have no monuments, they have no artwork to tell them exactly what the stuff looked like. So they have to imagine in their head what it probably looked like and then from there construct something from their imagination, whereas we don't have to do that. We can be look on the wall and say, that's okay. And this and this, we can cut it this way and, and, and reduplicate it because we, we can see exactly, you know, what it is because they left their artwork. And so, you know, that's, that's just the point I wanted to make. Okay. Are you saying there's no Hebrew Israelite artwork? Because I know you said artwork. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's, um, so, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a great point. Um, again, you know, the way I see it, again, if that's the way they want to dress, you know what I'm saying, then that's the way they want to dress. Those still, you know, our brothers, hey, you know, you know, I mean, hey, you know, yeah, I'm not going to call them Power Rangers. I'll let you call them, but, you know, you know, but again, I, I respect my brothers, you know what I mean? I, you know, you, even though I disagree with the information, with um, the, the level of scholarship, you know, uh, the brothers came with some energy, strong black men, you know what I'm saying? All right. So, look, omission. Hmm? Okay. Left? Okay. All right. Now, this, this is about the um, our discussion with um, Nashia Chavelle with the simultaneous dynasties. Now, one obvious problem with using the simultaneous dynasty argument to compress the chronology is that it flatly contradicts the research of Herodotus and Manetho. Mind you, Herodotus, Herodotus and Manetho were first-hand witnesses. They actually interacted um, inter, um, with the priest and actually consulted them, all right, and asking them questions, all right? Um, and Manetho himself was a priest. Two are our most important ancient authorities. According to Herodotus, quote, Thus far I have spoken on the authority of the Egyptians and their priests. They declare that from their first king to this last mentioned monarch, the priest of Vulcan, i.e. Ptah, all right, was a period of 341 generations. Such, at least, they say, was the number both of their kings and of their high priests. During this interval, in other words, for every king you have, you're going to have a high priest. Okay, in the in the uh, new kingdom, as they say, in, in 1800, in 18th dynasty, 19th dynasty, they'll call say the uh, first priest of Amun or first prophet of Amun. That's the name of that office. Okay, and you have to be trained for it. All right. Now, not, this is not simultaneous. This is, comes from the Hall of Ancestors in the Temple of Seti, the first 19th dynasty. All right, this here is uh, Seti, the king, 19th dynasty, showing, and again, you see his hand right here, so he's showing his son, um, Usamat Rasa Tepera Ramesu Mary Amun, all right, or Ramesses II, all right, showing him, these are your ancestors, okay? This is not simultaneous. This is primary documentation, all right? So where are you getting this simultaneous um, uh you know, claim from. Did you examine the documents themselves? That's the question. Okay, hold on, hold on. Next. Here's a closer up so so that we can see. All right. Inside the circle you see uh the chinois, which means to encircle. It's not a cartouche. All right, cartouche is French for carton. Okay. The word the, talk about the word chinois? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm saying Yeah. Yeah. 
Hulk. Okay, and you're saying that the shin, the shinny. Yeah. Yeah. But this shin is just paranym. Yeah, it's paranym. It's a word for king. Right. So you encircle it here, and again. King, boom. King. Yes, exactly. So, so again, this this is not simultaneous. Did did any of you examine this? And you have to do that. Even if you're a Hebrew, that's okay. Still do accurate information. Because again, we're all black folks. This my, to my brother. This is still your history. This is your history too. Now again, you may use the biblical narrative and say, you know, the Egyptians are evil or whatever. But mind you, this is still black history. Do not allow people with uh, who do not have our best interest at heart judge our, have the final word in our history. Okay, even even with the Isra uh, Israelite history. All right, do the research, find out exactly what's there, and then demonstrate that. Okay, and don't let anybody come in and put false information on is on the, on the whole Israel. But use primary documentation, anthropology, and archaeology, just like we do. Okay? So, this is primary. Okay? Keep going. We got 188 people watching live, y'all. All right. Now, let's continue. This is what Herodotus says now. Quote, the priests offered Herodotus visual evidence to this, to say Herodotus once more. They led me into the sanctuary, pay attention, which is a... Listen. They led me into the chamber. I want you to visualize this. So they're walking them in there, which is a spacious chamber. All right, so it's very wide. And showed me a multitude of colossal statues in wood, which they counted up. All right, so again, visualize this. They're saying this is boom, one, boom, two, boom, three. All right, and found to amount to the exact number they had said. The custom being for every uh, priest during his lifetime to set up his statue in the temple. As they showed me the figures and reckoned them up, in other words, counted, they assured me that each was the son, the one preceding him, and his they repeated throughout the whole line. All right? That's not simultaneous. Okay? That's one after the other. All right? Again, this is eyewitness, this is eyewitness account. In other words, in other words, dynasties, for example, you know, you put them side by side, ruling at the same time. That way, you can say, well, I I, I can get it down to 2000 BC. It's a slick move. All right. Anyway, and I don't think that's his research. Anyway, let's keep moving. All right. Now, conflating the dynasties. This is Mena, Mena. Now, the Greeks say Menes. All right. Mena founded the Temple of Ptah in the first dynasty, as we have seen. Five thousand uh, years later. The priests of that institution were able to show Herodotus proof of 341 uninterrupted generations of priests who had presided there. This eloquently refutes the notion held by Meyer, remember that guy, that one can compress Egyptian history by claiming simultaneous dynasties. This is by Robin Walker. Okay? Let's keep going. All right. Now, this here. Is a primary documentation. Again, this is a tablet of Jer, one of the kings of the first dynasty. You get this from the University College of London. All right. This here is a reproduction. All right. This here is a partial. This is a reproduction here coming from Sir Fundus William Petrie's book. All right. Um, volume one of Egyptian histories. Now, here you see the name Jer. Again, the hawk here, it means this, this right here. This is a what's called a serek. Okay. Now, 
it's a it's a hieroglyphic model of a temple. Now the word serek, all right, it means king because you find it in in modern Hausa as sereki. All right, they speak this right now. Sereki and it means king. So essentially you're saying King Jer. All right, you can go up here as Jer. King Jer. All right. In fact, this uh temple uh how uh, hieroglyphic rendition you find in Saqqara right next to the step pyramid so if you type in Saqqara step pyramid look at the temples right next to it it's going to look exactly like this all right now I'm, I want to put your attention to this right here this here is the is the bull as you can see this is the rising of um, this is the sun here with Sopta now Sopta or Spadet is the Cirrus star rising together okay now if the earliest count, the earliest calendar date is based off of this, the earliest time that you can get the rising of Septa um, as recorded, all right, about 4200 BCE, all right. So again, if this king, listen up, if this king was able to record the rising of Septa during his lifetime, okay, then, all right, it stands to reason that this is not 3000 BCE because again, the listen. You have 40, about 4200 BCE, that's a rising. Then the next one after that is 2700 BCE. Mm. Wow. Let me say it again. 2700 BCE is the next time that occurs. Mm. So if this king on the primary document, wow. okay, and again, and, and I want to recognize that this is a reproduction right here. If he's recording the rising of the star with the sun, then he's done it during his lifetime. It has to be 4200 BCE or prior to that. Okay, because any another, okay, or or or, or, or it go before around fifty-seven. Okay, and that's what the priest Manetho was said. All right, let's keep going. All right, now, hold on, hold on. let's get. You got twelve, what? Okay, all right, all right, hold on, let's keep going. All right, the age of age of Gemini, Taurus. All right, now listen up. Um, the age of Gemini is from 6,000 to 4,000 B.C. I'm not going to go through all of this here. All right. That's the age of Gemini. All right. B.C.E. Keep that in mind. Let's keep going. Okay. Now, the, this is Dendera, the sky map from Temple of Het Haru. All right. Now, this is the primary documentation here. These are all the constellations and different stars and the deacons. This is a reproduction. Now, if you look here, all right, you see this right here? That is King Mena or a so-called pharaoh on this suit. Right in front of him, right here, this is a bull. Right behind him, right here, is the age of the twins. Age of the twins, age of the bull. Look where he's situated. So we're looking at primary docu documents on the Mayans so you can learn how to look at it. They're telling you that he ruled during the time when you, we, we were about to enter into the age of the bull, and we were leaving the age of the twins. The Egyptians are telling you when the first dynasty occurred. All right. If you're saying 3000 BCE, then he would be closer right here. But why is he right here? Right again, right at before um, he starts. Let's keep going. All right. Now, look up not the normal palette. What's up here? What are they telling you? You have the bull at the top. This, this is during the age of Taurus. All right, we're not going to analyze all the inscriptions on the inside. But again, you see the hedge crown, um, and then you see the red crown here. All right, so again, he's taking, he's a Nisut Bitti. 
right. Hey, United. That's happening a lot of times. I yeah. Notice the bulls up there. Yeah. The right, bulls up top. All right. Symbolizing the Taurus. Yes. All right. We don't have time to go into a full analysis, but let's keep going. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Just let me get through. I'm gonna get through the whole thing. Hold on. All right. Now the Tasetin Kustu. This is um, uh, about 300 years before the first dynasty. I'm not gonna go into that. This here is the stone palette um, of the Palermo stone. You have to examine this. All right. Let's keep going. All right. Palermo stone. Um, this would be uh, McNaughton. He he got astrological. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got a book that it hypnotizes us. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They still under hypnosis. Yeah, nah, hey, but that's receive. all right. But let me get through this. Let me get through I'm this. All right, let they me get through this. Now, listen, you have to examine. If you're going, if you're going to, all right, listen, if you're going to make claims about the chronology, you have to examine these types of documents in detail. Again, this is the term papyrus. You have to examine this. Let's keep going. All right, now, these are some other points um, that I was ready for yesterday. This is from the Declarations of Innocence. For this is the Papist of Maherpri. Now, Maherpri was a uh, Nubian prince under Amenhotep II at 18th dynasty. He says here, um, I have not lain with man. This is, this is direct, says, okay, let's keep going. All right, this is on the oneness of God. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You, you know the biblical references here. Hymns to a ton, old soul, God without equal, self-made, you fashion your body, created, uncreated. Now, mind you, created, uncreated is um, the Greeks later on say the unmoved mover later on. All right, let's keep going. Maker of every land, creator whatsoever. Let's keep going. All right, you have it in the Quran. All right, this uh, on the side here we have from Muhammad. All right, then we have, oh, how many are there things that you made? They're hidden from the face. Oh, you one God. We already have that. Let's keep going. These are, these are I'm not going to read them all, so um, y'all can read them later. This is about the soul God on the Papyrus of Ani. Okay, I took that picture myself of the Papyrus. Okay, now the what? No, 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 no. I have a facsimile. So I just took that with my own, uh, own camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, a uh, quick point. The word, now, they brought this up, making fun, saying, you know, the one God. Who's the one God? Because everybody got this um, title. Now, listen, the one God is a title, okay? It is a title. They took a literal and, and did some reduction, okay? Just like, just like here in the United States, the first lady. The first lady, we don't think that she's the first lady who ever lived. It is a title. It is a position. Okay? So when you say the God, the one God, this is a title. Okay? Let's keep going. All right? All right, so here's on morals and ethics. They were saying that, hey, you know, where are y'all morals and ethics at? All right? Here you go. Libate for your, for your mother and father who are resting in the valley. That's from the instructions of Ani. Keep going. Serve your father and mother that they may go and pro that you may go and prosper. That's, a, that's from Ankh-Shishank. This predates Exodus 20. Out of your mother and your father. Let's keep going. All right, these are words for to teach. I'm not going to go into it. The um, installation of the vizier Rekmire from his tomb in Waset, they say thieves. Do not judge unfairly. God arbors um, partiality. All right, let's skip down. Regard one you know like the one you don't know. All right, in other words, you know, treat everybody equal. This is equality. All right, one near you like the one far from you. All right, let's keep going. Do not enter the house of anyone until he admits you and greets you. Do not snoop around the house. They give you instructions on what to do here. This is from uh, the instructions of Ani. All right, let's keep going. The instructions of Amenemopet. He says this, beginning of the teaching for life, the instructions for well-being. 
every rule for relations with elders, for conduct towards magistrates, knowing how to answer one who speaks, to reply to one who sends a message, so as to direct him on the path of life, to make him prosper upon earth, to let his heart enter its shrine, steering clear of evil, to save him from the mouth of strangers, to let him be praised in the mouth of the people made by the overseer of the fields, experienced in his office. This is the title, by the way. Let's keep going. Better is a bushel given to you by God than 5,000 for wrongdoing. That's chapter 6. Um, do not sever your heart from your tongue. In other words, uh, what's in your heart should be, you know, the same as what's in your mind. And what comes out your, out, your, out your mouth. Of course, you know, we're all guilty of, you know, not having that uh, at some point in time. Okay? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. But out. Exactly. Right, right. All right. Do not enter your belly to everyone. All right, and, and thus destroy respect to you. Broadcast not uh, your words to others. No join with one who bears his heart, okay? Better is one whose speech is in his belly than he who tells it to his cause. In other words, just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean you got to blurt out. Let's keep going. Do not pounce on a widow when you find her in the fields. All right, don't take it, like, again, don't, you, you don't see her with a man, so don't go run after her. Do not refuse, do not refuse your oil jar to a stranger. Or doesn't that sound like uh, Abraham when the angel came down? He said, hey, you know, break the bread, he's a stranger, etc. God prefers him who honors the poor to him and who worships the wealthy. That's chapter 28. Do not revive one older than you. In other words, respect your elders. Okay, is that it? Yep. Peace and Black Power family. Saw another studios bringing it to you live. I hope you enjoyed Brother Asar Hotep and Brother Sinjedi, the young scholar, the young one. You know what I'm talking about. Well, anyway, family, um, we're going to head right in there. Continuation with part two. For Brother Jonathan, Unk the God Killer, that's right, the Black Atheist, and Brother Polite. Stay tuned, I'm coming right at you with part two. Peace and Black Power Family. <laughs>